Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then, that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Amen. Let's pray briefly. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread from heaven, the true bread from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we ask that you would be here by your spirits, by your spirits to enable us to understand your word. And may I, be, may I declare it with clarity. And may your spirit apply it to the hearts of your people and enable those who are here that do not believe uh, to believe in Christ. In his name we pray, amen. What is it that you ask God for? What are the things that you pray for, for yourself and, and for others? Are there any pleadings with God on your part? Maybe for your health, for the health of others, for the well-being of other people. Do you put any requests before your God? If you do, you are quite like the group of men and women who are uh, surrounding Jesus as he's teaching in the synagogue in John 6. If you remember the setting... John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. This great multitude of people. It's, it's over 5,000. It was just 5,000 men. And counting, if we count men and women, this was a vast group, at least 20,000 people. And Jesus feeds all of them with a few fish and a couple of loaves. And not only does Jesus feed them, but then Jesus performs this miracle for his disciples alone. He sends them on the sea of Galilee, and then he rescues them. And he does this because their hearts were still hard. They didn't quite understand the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, so Jesus comes and he reveals himself to them as, as God. On the water, he rescues them. And the following day, the, these crowds, they go out and they, they try to find him. They search for Jesus everywhere, and eventually they find him teaching in the synagogues, in the synagogue, and Jesus tells them, in verse 27 of John 6. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but labor for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. That word labor, see that, that word labor? That is the exact same word that they use in their question. When they ask Jesus in verse 28, 
what shall we do that we may work the works of God? That's the same word, same exact word, angry. So really what Jesus says to them, he says in verse 27, I think it's, it's helpful to read it this way so you can see what God is trying to, to uh, communicate here. Do not work for the food which perishes. Don't work for that. They, they were laboring to figure out where Jesus was because they got some bread and they got some fish. And Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because the Father has set his seal upon him. And in light of that statement, then they ask this question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? And here the, the text is broken up very simply. There's a question, there's a demand, and there's a request. And Jesus answers each one. First, the question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus provides them an answer. Now, Jesus is speaking about work. And, and now, you know, immediately when we hear this, what we think, oh, those poor legalists, they're, they're thinking about works-based salvation, and Jesus is here to offer men grace. Really what we have here is the Christian answer to a Jewish question. They want to know what works they ought to do. They want to know what God requires. What is it that God requires of us? This is what the phrase, the works of God, means at the end of that verse. What is it that God requires? What is the requirement? What is the work God requires so that we may have the food which endures to everlasting life? That is not a foolish question. That is a question that each and every one of us should know the answer to. That's a question that we should be asking. That is a question that we should be able to answer with our children, no matter their age. It's a question that we ought to be able to communicate with our spouse, with our friends, with our neighbors, co-workers, whoever it might be. This question determines whether a person will go to heaven or spend eternity in hell. If you are not a Christian and you're here this morning, this is the question that you should be listening for us to answer. This is the question that on Sunday, if you're not a Christian and you come to church, you should be listening for us to answer this question. I want to know the answer to this. What, what is it that God requires so that I might have this eternal life? What is it? This is not a legalistic question. I want you to get that idea out of your mind. Now, here are some places in the Bible that make this very apparent. Peter stands up. Uh, after the death of Christ, Christ is raised from the dead. He spends time with his disciples. He sends them out to preach, and it's 
Pentecost and Peter gets up and he begins to preach and the people are cut to the heart in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. And now when they heard this, they heard Peter's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah and that they crucified him by the hands of sinful men. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter didn't say, you're a bunch of legalists. All, every last single one of you, you're not paying attention. That's not what he says. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail and the Philippian jailer is there. And, you know, they'd just been mistreated and treated horribly and they're singing hymns at night. And it goes dark, all the jail cells spring open. And he's been hearing a conversation, the Philippian jailer, and he's been hearing these psalms that they've been singing. They probably witnessed to the Philippian jailer as he was, you know, shackling them to the ground or to each other. And in Acts chapter 16, verses 29 through 30, then he called the Philippian jailers for light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He was about to kill himself. And they said, do not harm yourself. We're still here. Verse 30, and he brought them out of their cell and said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul didn't say, that's legalistic. You've not been paying attention. There's nothing that you can do. No. He tells him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Paul, preaching in Acts 17, verses 30 through 31, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. That's what God requires. God requires faith and repentance because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. You see, the reason why men must know the answer to this question is because there is a coming day of judgment, and every person knows the day is coming. Every person knows it. When you lay down at night and you rest your head, if God, in His grace, does not provide you sleep, you think about these things. You think about your own life, you think about the life, lives of, of those whom you love, and you think to yourself, what are they going to do on that day? What am I going to do on that day? I'm going to have to give an account for everything that I've done, for every word that I've spoken, for every deed that I've committed, for every thought that I've had. What am I going to do? What must I do to be saved? You are personally responsible. That, that really is what, uh, and, and Jesus' answer to them is going to highlight this. We are personally responsible. The sovereignty of God is no excuse. The grace of God, the mercy of God is no excuse. On the day of judgment, when you stand before God to give an account, you're not going to be able to say to God, you didn't give me faith. God is going to ask you, what did 
you do. And look at Jesus' answer. So you have the question. They raise the question, and now Jesus provides the answer. This is the work of God. You want to know what the work of God is? That you believe in Him whom He sent. That's what you must do. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Jesus doesn't say to them, you're you're thinking legalistically, there's nothing that you have to do. Let go and let God. You know, pray to speak in tongues or tithe to the church. He didn't say any of those things. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he turns, they're plural. They ask, what are the works that we must do? And Jesus says, the work, singular. The one thing that God requires of all men is that they believe in Jesus. And it's emphatic the way that Jesus states it. The Greek is literally believe on Him or believe in that one the Father Himself sent. Nobody else. Uh, You don't need to believe in Mahatma Gandhi, Muhammad... Uh, you know, Christian science. I don't know who their patron saint is, John Travolta or Tom Cruise. Or <laughs> You don't need to believe in it. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. This is the only work God wants. And, it, and of course, it's, it's not a work. Faith is an empty hand that receives the riches of Christ. But that is what God requires, and that's what Jesus wants to highlight. Remember, he is speaking to a people who, they just want to fill their bellies. They were were just on the other side of the lake. They were going to make him their king, and now they're saying to him, what kind of trick are you going to perform so that I could believe you? Because now I'm not too sure. But you were just about to make him your king the day before because he provided some bread. And now, what we must remember is that believing in Jesus, to believe, is not an event. It's not just like one, it's something I did 35 years ago. Jesus, actually, what he says here is that you must be believing in the Son. It is lifelong trust, lifelong assurance in a resolve that remission of sins, a full pardon and forgiveness for everything that you've done against God's holy standard. So that remission of sins, righteousness, which you don't have. There is no man living who is righteous, yet Jesus offers righteousness freely, and everlasting life are yours freely through the mercy of God in Christ. That is what faith is. And the lunacy of unbelief is highlighted when you think about what faith actually is. What God says to sinners is that I will freely forgive you of all of your sins if you believe in my son and the world balks at it. (sighs) Who Who cares? It's crazy. You know, they, they rather live with a tormented soul that they have to 
medicate legally or illegally, that they have to satiate every carnal pleasure, that they have to look for external uh, approval and uh, appreciation from others. Men rather do that than do the one thing God requires. And God gives it freely. Isn't that what Jesus said in verse 27? He said, do not work for the food which perishes. Don't work for your 401k. Don't work for the Corvette. Don't work for the liposuction or the hair implants or the teeth. Don't work for any of those things. All of those things perish. They won't last. Work for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. Therefore they said to him, now, now here's their demand. So that was their question, right? That was their question, Jesus' answer. And now look at their demand. What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And here their unbelief is exposed in this demand and their error is exposed also. And these are two perennial issues, unbelief and error, particularly the the kind of error that I'm talking about here is a misunderstanding of the Bible. We would all agree that unbelief is a problem. But when you mingle unbelief with doctrinal error, the results can be spiritually blinding. It, It is humanly impossible to overcome somebody who is not only an unbeliever, but they've got some distorted doctrines. So like if you meet somebody who is a diehard Roman Catholic, oh boy, it's almost impossible. You can't reason with them. It doesn't matter what you say, how many Bible passages, it doesn't matter. If you talk with somebody who's a Jehovah's Witness, it doesn't matter how many passages on the divinity of Christ and how their Bible mistranslate passages, or if you talk to a Mormon, it doesn't matter because they, what they've done is now they've taken their unbelief. They don't believe some essential truth. So for the Roman Catholic, the Roman Catholic does not believe that you can have a right standing with God apart from adding your own works. The uh, Jehovah's Witness be- does not believe that Jesus is God. The Mormon has a lot of problems. <laughs> and, and, and what they do is that they, they, they mingle that those doctrinal errors with unbelief. And it becomes, you can't talk to them. I I remember um, an older gentleman who is much older now was speaking to, uh, this is in Florida, was witnessing to a, a, uh, a Mormon. And the Mormon punched him in the face. The Mormon guy was like a 30 year old. He was 60 at least. Mormon guy just punched him right in the face. Why? Because he was, he's blind. And it's humanly impossible to overcome this. It's, it's something that God, ha- God has to deliver those people. So they asked Jesus, well, what sign are you going to show us? Okay, what miracle are you going to perform? 
You asked us to do a work, to believe in you. Okay, that's what you're saying. Now you got to do something. And this is, of course, their unbelief. If you want me to believe in you, do something that I can see with my own eyeballs. He had just done it, though. He had just fed 20,000 people with a couple of loaves and some fish. Not only that, they knew of all of the miracles he was performing. You have to remember, John tells us that this took place in Capernaum. That was Jesus' home base. He was casting out demons, healing sick people, giving, the blind, giving blind their sight, causing lame people to walk. They knew everything Jesus was doing. This is part of the reason why he came back to this region, because now the religious leaders had, had gotten a uh, sort of, it was in the air that this guy is performing tons of miracles everywhere he goes. They knew he was doing miracles. There was no way to discredit what he was doing. Faith, as the author to the book of Hebrews says, is the substance of things hoped for, the confidence of things unseen. Now, faith is not blind faith. It's not, believe this because I said it. We trust, we believe in the promises of God because God has been faithful to keep every promise that he has made. So we can trust him. We can depend upon him. So, for example, the psalmist in Psalm 116, verses 1 through 2 says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore... I will call upon him as long as I live. God is faithful to his promises, therefore I can trust him. What the psalmist praises God for is not what's going on here. These, this group is testing Jesus. They want him to perform an act contrary to nature to prove he is worthy of being trusted. And this is what almost, you know, the majority of unbelievers will do today. Well, if God shows up right now, or if he, you know, whatever, right? Um, and uh, God does not yield to that. He has no need to. God will not submit to that kind of attitude, to the kind of attitude that says, you must submit to me so that I can trust you. God will not yield to that. And we ought not to either. As Christians, when we're doing evangelism, interacting with unbelievers, we don't need to yield to that kind of nonsense. This side of the cross, remember this, believer. Christ gave himself so that all of your sins might be forgiven. A greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let those words burn deep down into your soul if you ever doubt that Christ is who he says he is. We ought not doubt. God promised that he would send his son to die for his people, and he has accomplished this. And he was raised from the dead powerfully. Therefore, their, their unbelief here is, is exposed. They want more tricks. Now look at their error. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
an error that was prevalent in their day was the belief that when the Messiah appeared, he would provide the people of Israel with manna. In, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, uh, the, John, who's the author of this gospel, also says, he, and I, uh, Jesus is speaking, and he says to those who persevere, to those who conquer, I will give you the hidden manna. I will give you this hidden bread to eat. And in Jewish literature, after the New Testament, there's the, the development of this. I read a passage last week to you all about the bread from heaven. So they thought that the Messiah would come and, and there would be a return to this bread from heaven. Jesus provided one meal, and it wasn't bread from heaven. It wasn't. It was this little boy had some bread and some fish, and Jesus multiplied them. And so in their mind, they're saying, this is not like what Moses did. Moses didn't feed us just one time and multiply bread. He fed our fathers for 40 years in the wilderness, and it was raining pancakes. <laughs> you know? So they were just falling out of the sky, right? Jesus, they're basically saying, Jesus, you, you've got to step it up. If you want us to believe in you, you've got to outdo Moses. But here's where they misunderstand. Listen to what Jesus says to them. Most assuredly, I say to you, verily, verily, amen, amen. You can uh, write this down. This is a quote, is what Jesus is saying. Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. In their thinking, it was Moses who provided this for their fathers. Although the scriptures are very clear, they're actually citing a passage from the Bible. And it's Psalm 78. Psalm 78, chapter 23, says this, Yet he commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, had, had rained down manna, on them to eat, and given them the bread of heaven. Men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. And they misunderstood this passage. What they thought is that this is referring to Moses, but, but there are many other places in the Bible that make it very clear that it wasn't Moses. So in Exodus chapter 16, when Moses, uh, Moses, and Moses is writing this, it says this, beginning at verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. It's God who does it. Later on in the history of God's people in Nehemiah, so this is you know, way before even the, um, the, their exile, the very be beginning of their history when they're just coming out of the land. But then later, towards the end of the Old Testament, Nehemiah writes this, Nehemiah 9.15, You, speaking of God, gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. And in Psalm 105, verse 40, it says, The people asked, and he brought quail, speaking of God, and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. They think it was Moses. And they've mingled that doctrinal error with their unbelief, and now they're saying to Jesus, you've got to do better than that if you want us to believe you. That is, in essence, the disposition of, that is the disposition of unbelief. The, you are promising me forgiveness of sins, 
and peace with God? I want a Ferrari. I want that woman. I want that man. I want this career. I want this disease to go away. I want to have so much money in the bank. I want all of my kids to be believers. If you give me that, then I'll trust you. Do not put God to the test. You know, I am not saying that we ought not to plead with God to save our children. I'm not saying that we ought not to plead with God to um, give us a good career, help us to be wise with our finances. But if we put God to the test and say to Him, if you don't do this, I can't trust you, then God won't do it. He has no need to. So then Jesus offers them two corrections, and he does this by means of contrast. Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Moses did not give, past tense, bread from heaven. Moses didn't do that. My father gave. It was God who provided food in the desert for 40 years. And you know what? He stopped. And you know what? Most of them died. They didn't even enter the land of promise. You have to remember that that entire first generation, they all perished in the wilderness because of unbelief. And he fed them bread for 40 years. My father gives. This is active, ongoing, from the time of Jesus' birth even up to today. My father is giving the true bread from heaven. You thought that that angel's food was what God ultimately wanted to give? Is that what you wanted, pancakes? No. The true bread God is giving now. I'm standing right in front of you. Moses ain't given nobody nothing. He's dead too. True bread in contrast to the bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Here is the reason for their error. He, he grounds it, that little four. Right? That's, that's the, the, the ground. This is the, the reason why that bread, that manna, was typical. Right? The manna was a type. While the people were wandering through the wilderness, God sustained them physically with bread from heaven. And while we wander through the wilderness of this world, God sustains us spiritually by giving us the true bread. He continually gives not for 40 years, for your entire life and then into eternity. 
In the wilderness, my father, Jesus is saying, in the wilderness, my father was willing to sustain the physical life of your fathers for 40 years with manna. Today, my father is willing to sustain you spiritually for eternity with me. Believe in me. That's what Jesus is saying. And what's their response? Lord, give us this bread always. And the emphatic, what's emphatic there is the always, all the time. We want this bread all the time. Give it to us. They want what he's offering, but they want it the way that pliable wanted what Christian offered him. They just wanted the good stuff. For those of you who have been going through Pilgrim's Progress, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They, 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 they hear all of this good stuff about this bread. They're, they're in the same position as the woman in the well when Jesus said to her that I can give you water that never runs out and that will quench your thirst forever. She's like, give me this water. It's very similar. And, and that is the response also of Nicodemus when Jesus says to him, you must be born again. Jesus is speaking about, he's using spiritual truths to communicate uh, excuse me, he's using physical truths to communicate spiritual realities and they don't get it. They're, it makes no sense to them. But they want it. Why? Because they think that it will satisfy some carnal desire. And if you're sitting here today, and that is why you've come to church, um, you will never satisfy any of those carnal desires by coming to church. You do it temporarily for a little bit of time. But then what will happen is either you'll, you'll leave or you'll continue to come, but uh, you'll be wearing a mask and it's not because of COVID. It'll just be a facade. Like you'll just be showing up here, but, but really the, your desire is not for the Lord Jesus because you've never tasted and seen that the Lord is good. But that's what Jesus invites you even today. He knew these people's heart. And what does he say to them? Do not work for the food which perishes. Work for the food which will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. If you've come here with bad motives, Jesus still says to you this morning, I will give you what you really need. Believe in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Christ and for his grace and mercy. What a wonderful Savior we have who even today continues to sustain the life of your people and is willing even now, Lord, to save those uh, who are here who do not believe. We ask that you would grant eternal life, that you would sustain spiritual life as you have promised. In Christ's name we pray, amen.